0: Well I don't know um, if you guys know but uh, for the last 20 years not only am I a pastor and a husband and a father of five children myself but I also have been a teacher and I have been a coach and one of the things I enjoy doing is coaching my kids teams currently um, I'm coaching my 11 year old son's basketball team and uh, it's an interesting endeavor Uh, every every time I coach a team it starts out really rough it starts out really raw um, usually there's kids who have never played the sport before, and so your, your, your range of skill level and experience is, is all over the place, and uh, you as a coach have a chance to, to get them together, and some of these kids don't even like each other. From the beginning, they may have history. I had one uh, child punch my son in the face during a practice on one of the fields in soccer, and it's always an interesting experience as a coach to try and get your team to come together, to understand the game, and to be able to play, uh, to hopefully win or at least compete uh, within the sport that you're coaching, and so... Uh, as a coach, you spend a lot of time in practices, you spend a lot of time on the fundamentals, you spend a lot of time modeling the correct way to, to execute plays and to, and to be successful. And, and ultimately you, you lay out a game plan and within that game plan there are roles and there are responsibilities for each member of the team. And so as game day approaches you get more excited as a coach because you've, you've honed this, this group of ragtag mob into a team that you hope will at some point be able to understand and exe- execute the game plan. That you have in mind. And so, right before the game, there's that final moment as a coach where you get a chance to really just speak into each and every one of those players, remind them of what is most important, and then you just release them. You release them, and you have these high hopes and these high expectations. We have a moment like this in the Gospels. We have a moment like this where the greatest coach of all time, his name was Jesus, his name is Jesus. He had a moment with his disciples, a moment in which he had spent years practicing, years um, bringing this ragtag group of men together, men and women, really. And he had spent time with these 12 specific disciples that he had called to be in this inner circle, to be key members of the team that he was calling together for a specific purpose and a specific mission. We find it in Matthew chapter 28, this moment where Jesus, who is now a risen Savior, he has defeated death, he has overcome the grave, and he is with his disciples in this moment before he ascends back into his rightful place in heaven at the right hand of the Father. And he shares these words with his disciples Matthew twenty eight eighteen through 20, they should be familiar to us at this point, if you've been around crossroads at all. It's where these four E's that are behind me come from. Then Jesus came near and said to them, All authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit teaching them to observe everything I have commanded you. And remember, I am with you always to the end of the age. This was the greatest coach that had ever lived. And he had assembled a group of men together, and he he had called them to be on his team. And they had responded to that call. They were willing followers of Jesus Christ. And he laid out the game plan. It could never be any clearer than what he just said. And this goes to every one of us that are on the team, have accepted Jesus as Lord of our life, have responded to his call on the cross to come and surrender our lives to him. We also have this same game plan today in the church. Every disciple of Christ is called to three things, I believe. Every one of us is responsible to execute Jesus' game plan for us. Number one, introduce others to Jesus. Do you see it there? Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations. There's a responsibility given to every one of us to be active in displaying and sharing our faith. Do you realize that there's no exception? It's not just on the responsibility of our missionary families that we support. It's not just on the responsibility of those who maybe pastor or shepherd a church. No, it's for every one of us. Every one of us that are on the team Jesus are called to execute the game plan and to introduce others to Jesus. How can we do that? We do that with our lives on display. The Bible says we are the light of the world. We are the salt of the earth. We are to be a city on a hill for people to see what Jesus has done in our lives. That he's transformed us from hopelessness to life. From death and despair to a new hope that we have in him. We are to be displaying that to the people in our world. We are to be in the world but not become of the world. Secondly, we are to invite others to choose Jesus. Do You realize that it's not good enough just to introduce them to Jesus. We have to give them an invitation. We're called to invite them to join the team. Jesus wants his team to grow. He wants his team to thrive. Why? Because he recognizes what it looks like to not be on his team. To not be on team Jesus is, is not a good place to be. It means that we're responsible for our own sin and our own shame. Because we aren't covered by the blood of Jesus if we're not on his team. And so we, as as his team, are to be out there in the world inviting others to join the team. Do you see that here? Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. When they make a response to the invitation, guess what? They have a new identity. A new identity is forged in them. They're a part of Team Jesus And as an outward symbol of that, they are to be baptized, declaring to the world that they are on team Jesus. I identify myself with the Father, a son of the Father. I identify myself with the the Son, Jesus. I'm his brother. I'm a co-heir with Christ. And identify him themselves with the Holy Spirit. They are now a temple of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit has moved into their life when they place their faith and trust in him. Jesus. And they are on the team. We're all called to execute the game plan, introduce others to Jesus, invite others to choose Jesus, and finally, instruct others to follow Jesus. You see right here in verse 19, it says, teaching them to observe everything I have commanded you. Everything I have commanded you. That begs to ask the question, where do we get God's commands, Christ's commands, the game plan. Everything that Jesus laid out, we get it in the New Testament. We get it when his followers chose to write down what God had instructed them, what through his son Jesus, what God had instructed him to live out. The game plan, to love God and to love others, it's expounded upon in the New Testament. It's laid out for us. Where do we get the fullness of the instructions? Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church. Where do we get that? We get that in the book of Ephesians. From one of the disciples who was known as the 13th apostle, right? One after the fact, the apostle Paul. He was inspired to write those words because he had had an encounter with Jesus as well. Jesus had called him personally to be on the team. You see, God didn't intend for us to walk this path alone. He intended for us to operate on a team that involves community. Listen to what the disciple Peter writes in the New Testament. He writes about this God-established community that's to be on mission with a specific game plan. 1 Peter 2, verse 9 and 10. But you, you are a chosen people. He's writing to those on the team a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his possession, so that you may proclaim the praises of the one who called you out of darkness and into his marvelous light. Once you were not a people, but now you are God's people. You had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. Do you see what Peter writes here? Does he say that you are now an individual? Or does he say, no, you're part of a bigger team of individuals? He talks in terms of community. He talks in terms of one-anotherness. We aren't to follow Jesus on our own. We are to follow Jesus with others who are following Jesus. We are to be a part of the team that Jesus has called and assembled together to execute the game plan. Paul writes to the early church, and he provides insight into what it will take to successfully implement God's plan as we live in community together. In Colossians chapter 3, this is our main text this morning, Colossians chapter 3, verses 12 and following, he writes these words. Therefore, God's chosen ones, holy and loved, put on heartfelt compassion, kindness, Humility, gentleness, and patience, accepting one another and forgiving one another if another has a complaint against another. If anyone has a complaint against another, just as the Lord has forgiven you, so you must also forgive. Above all, put on love, the perfect bond of unity, and let the peace of the Messiah, to which you were also called in one body, control your hearts. Be thankful. What is it? What is required if we're going to live successfully in community? If we're going to have a team that comes together and that is able to execute the game plan in a way that is prosperous, in a way that is effective, we have to be one around this idea of community. What does it require to live in community? I think number one. We need to display the heart of Jesus. Each one of us have to carry around the heart of Jesus. What does that heart look like? He just laid it out. We are to put on heartfelt compassion. What does that mean? That means that we are to have care for one another. Kindness. You guys all know what it means to be kind? Kindness. We are to have humility. That's the idea that you know I'm willing to learn from you and and I hope that you're willing to learn from me the Bible says in Proverbs 27 17 as iron sharpens iron so one man sharpens another right we're to have that kind of interaction where steel is rubbing against steel and sharpening one another's lives we have to be open to that you're not going to be open to that if you're not humble we have to be gentle in our approach We have to be patient with one another. Not everybody is an instant success. I know that as a coach, right? I have a lot of players on the team, and they're real raw. They're going to take a lot of work. You know, in basketball, you're supposed to dribble with how many hands at a time? One, right? Well, they're out there going like this, and I'm like, referee's going to signal them for double dribble every time, turnover, the other team gets the ball. That's not going to help our team. So I have to work with them, you know, one hand at a time. Let's work on that, right? We have to be patient. Has Jesus been patient with us? We are to be patient with one another. Accepting one another and forgiving one another. If you want to hear more about that, listen to week one in our series. Two weeks ago, Pastor Jeff focused on that topic. What does it look like to truly accept one another and forgive one another? to live in this community, this team that Jesus has put together. If anyone has a complaint against another, we are to go to one another, right? In a community, how about in your own household community, are there ever any offenses that take place? Husbands, look at your wife. Wife, look at your husband. Brother, look at your sister. Sister, look at your brother. Are there ever any offenses that take place in a community environment? Of course there are. What are we to do with those? Harbor those inside? Talk bad about others in in front of others? Gossip? Slander? Are we to do those things? Or are we to be the type of community that says, hey, let me talk to you about this offense. And and the one being talked to has a humility to say, maybe I did some, I could have done something better. So I apologize. Help me to grow in, in my ability to function better in this community. I need to take some steps in my own life to be less offensive. Can we all be offensive? Let's be honest. Sometimes my smell is offensive to my wife, right? I go take a shower, right? That's a way to alleviate that, hopefully. But we, all can, we can all offend, and we can all be offended. What are we to do with that? We are to bring that to one another in a humble, in a gentle, in a patient and kind and compassionate way. Above all, put on love. If we love one another like Christ first loved us, we won't go wrong. That's why love is the key. And there should be a peace that exists within the members of our body, not only here in Crossroads, but across the church, wherever it might exist, within the community of Carmichael and beyond. The peace of the Messiah, to which you were called to be how many bodies? How many teams has God put together? He's put together one. One Lord, one faith, one baptism. One God and Father above, who is above all and through all and in you all. That's what Ephesians chapter 4 says. And finally, we're to be thankful. Why Thanksgiving? I don't know. Why Thanksgiving? It's coming up, right? Who's going to celebrate on Thursday? Who has plans? Who's already got their turkey defrosting? right now who's behind the game behind the game plan and hasn't got the turkey ready hasn't even bought the turkey yet i don't even know my wife takes care of everything she's the greatest teammate ever so living in community requires displaying the heart of jesus number 2 colossians 3:16 let the message about the messiah dwell richly among you teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom, and singing psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs with gratitude in your hearts to God. There it is again, thanksgiving, gratitude. God seems to keep coming back to this theme. Number two thing we needed to live in our community is this, dedication to the message of Jesus. We have to be displaying the heart of Jesus, and we also have to be dedicated to the message of Jesus. Do you see it here? Let the message about the Messiah dwell richly among you, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom. What does teaching mean? Teaching is simply instructing. It's reminding others about the game plan, about the roles and the responsibilities needed to execute the game plan. Admonishing, what does that look like? Admonishing is correcting The wrong behavior, or the wrong beliefs, or the wrong attitudes. It's when you see something that's going to affect the team, when you see something where someone's off of the game plan, it's the willingness to go to that other in love and say, hey, you know, I need to admonish you because I love you and because I want our team to be successful and because I want the game plan to be executed. You know, I see it on the court all the time. The people who do the admonishing, I usually elevate them to team captain. Why? Because they're willing to speak into the lives of others. That shows maturity. That shows leadership. We should be admonishing one another. And we all have roles and responsibilities, right? In the household, the parents should be admonishing the children. Sometimes the children should be admonishing the parents. Parents, does that take a little humility? to receive some admonishment from our own children, I've been there, right? And we're real tempted to be prideful in those moments, parents. Husbands, from your wife, amen? Can she admonish? Does she have freedom to admonish? She should. Of course, husbands, gently with our wives. There's a sense that one another in community, as we gain relationships, we should know one another to the point where we see things where maybe wrong beliefs, wrong behaviors, wrong attitudes. Who's going to speak into that? One another should speak into that. Dedication to the message of Jesus. That's the key, though. It's got to be God's message, not our own. God's game plan. God's rule book. We don't make up the rules. I, I once coached a baseball team with, with Nate, and uh, We had this umpire that was really rough to deal with he'll go nameless needless to say i was kicked out of a game once but um (laughs) i was given the old heave ho and nate had to drag me off the field but um, thank god for good teammates nate's a good teammate but let me just say this that sometimes it feels like wow you know I, i had a conversation with this umpire and he goes i am the rule book wow I thought the, the we were all handed a little league rule book and I read through it and I said clearly what I argued is right it's right here in the rule book well he wasn't really humble right and he said I overrule the rule book wow okay well the good news is nobody overrules God's rule book amen amen and that when we come to one another and we we point out using God's word how something is wrong we admonish one another using God's word in gentleness and in love and in relationship, right, hopefully the effect is the person is corrected. The person is corrected. Now, the second part of this word admonishing refers to warning someone. It's warning someone of the consequences if this behavior, this belief, or this attitude is left unchecked in your life. Admonishing is sometimes saying, hey, let me warn you don't go down this path any further because where this path leads is not a good place it's gonna hurt the team and in order to preserve the team you may be put on the sideline for for a little bit of time have you ever had to do that anybody else coached where you have a kid that is so off the game plan right or maybe so detrimental to the rest of the players a ball hog won't pass the ball that you realize like you know what maybe a poor attitude just constantly having a bad attitude, bad-mouthing his teammates, you have to put them where For for a time? You have to put them on the sideline, on the bench, right? You bench them. They're out of the game for a little time. There's a timeout, right? And as a coach, a good coach, you'll go and you'll instruct and you'll say, hey, I want you to be a good contributing member of this team, but you can't do it with this attitude. You can't do it with this way that you're acting and behaving and functioning on the team right now so you're benched until you're willing to change that attitude, until you're willing to change that that way that you're acting and if they stick their tongue out guess what they're gonna have a long sentence on the bench right but if they respond sorry coach sorry coach I I I don't know what God got into me but I'm gonna get back on track right then as a coach okay, give a few minutes and I'll get you back in the game I think you're ready again right So admonishing involves warning someone or correcting someone. The third thing that we need need in order to live in community is right here in verse 17. And whatever you do, in word or in deed, in speech or in action, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. Whoa, there's thanksgiving again. That's the third time in this passage that God says thanksgiving should be a part of everything that we do to be on the team and executing the game plan. Are we thankful? Church, are we thankful? Are we expressing our thanksgiving to God? For, or are we always focusing on the negative? Are we always thinking, well, I just didn't get this or that. I, I don't like that person. I don't like the way the music is and how loud it is. I don't like the way the, the chairs have been set up. We can can certainly focus on the negative a lot, can we not? When we get into ourselves. But God, through his spirit, wants to say, don't focus there. Focus on the things you can be thankful for. Paul and Silas were jailed in a prison being tortured, and they were singing thanksgiving and praise to God. I don't think you're in a prison chained to a floor and being tortured. You had to sit in a different seat this morning. Than you're used to. The music might not have been your favorite. You know, Matt's preaching instead of Kurt, my favorite, right? Whatever it is, whatever it is, let's not focus there. Let's focus on being thankful. Boy, it can really change around our attitude and effectiveness as His team when we have Thanksgiving. But the third thing that we need displaying the heart of Jesus, dedicated to the message of Jesus, and number three, directing all of our focus on Jesus. What does this idea of teaching one another really look like in practice? In our final few minutes here in the message time, I, I want to go to a biblical example. Thank God for the rest of Scripture, right? Because he doesn't leave us like with just some abstract idea of what it looks like to teach and admonish one another. He instructs us, yes, we need to teach and admonish one another, but he gives us examples in his word. And so I I picked one this morning that I thought really highlighted that, thanks to Kurt. I'll be honest, Kurt turned me on to this this week. Because I went to him, I said, I'm struggling to get a good example of this concept in Scripture. He goes, what about? And he tells me this passage. And I thought, this is a great illustration. Acts chapter 18. It's a quick little snippet in the book of Acts. Remember, Acts is telling about the early church. It's telling about the interaction of the early church, the missionary journeys of the Apostle Paul and others. And in Acts chapter 18, we're introduced to a man named Apollos. Apollos. It's interesting because Apollos was a learned Jew from Alexandria in Egypt. He was an influential leader in the early church. But he seemed to be a man who was a follower or a convert of someone who knew John the Baptist. You remember John the Baptist? He was the forerunner of Christ. And John the Baptist taught about a message of repentance through baptism. Repentance through baptism. And so the disciples of John knew that there would be a Messiah that would come. And when Jesus came and died and and rose again, they they clearly recognized him as the Messiah. But they didn't really understand the fullness of, of the Holy Spirit coming and indwelling us and empowering us to live out his mission and be one as a team. And so Apollos is in this town, Ephesus, and we pick up the story here in Acts chapter 18. A Jew named Apollos, a native Alexandrian in Egypt, an eloquent man who was powerful in the use of the scriptures, arrived in Ephesus. This man had been instructed in the way of the Lord, and being fervent in spirit, he spoke and taught the things about Jesus accurately, although he knew only John's baptism. He began to speak boldly in the synagogue, the place where the Jews would gather, After Priscilla and Aquila heard him, they took him home and explained the way of God to him more accurately. What's interesting here is we're introduced to a couple other people, Aquila and Priscilla. Now, this is a couple that had lived in Rome. And they were Jews who had lived in Rome, and likely, during one of Paul's missionary journeys... They had encountered Paul and the message that Paul was sharing about Jesus. And they had come to place their faith and trust in Jesus the Messiah. But they were also trained in the way of the Holy Spirit of God. And so they understood some things from the Apostle Paul and others that this man Apollos didn't have yet understanding in. And so they heard this man Apollos speak correctly about Jesus, but he was kind of off on some other things. And so they're listening to him in the synagogue. And Aquila and Priscilla decide that they need to admonish. They need to teach this man Apollos. Not ridicule him. Not embarrass him. Not just call him a loser. Not say you're not part of our team. No. They decide to to teach and admonish him. And listen to how they do it. Check this out. After Priscilla and Aquila heard him, what do they do? They took him home and explained the way of God to him more accurately. They do it in the context of relationship. They do it in the context of love. They do it in the context of hospitality. Hey, come to our house, Apollos. You're you're a man that really speaks of Jesus well. We're encouraged by the words that you've shared. So come and spend some time with us. We'd love to offer you a meal in our home. And in the midst of that meal, they were able to explain and and teach and admonish this man Apollos in a way that was more accurate based on what they knew from the Holy Spirit of God and all that had taken place there. What's really cool about this, here you have a man and a woman who are teaming up together to teach and to admonish. It also lets us know that it's not just a man's place to do that, is it? No, here's a woman involved with teaching and admonishing. So we know that God wants all of us to be involved in this. When he he wanted to cross over to Achaia, this is Apollos. He's, He's journeying too. He wants to teach more. After this moment where Priscilla and Aquila say, Apollos, you got to know this. This is super important. You're really close on the message of Jesus, but what Jesus has done is he's given us his Holy Spirit, and that empowers us to live out what he's called us to be and do. You need to share that with, with people as well. So when, when Apollos wanted to cross over to Achaia, another region, the brothers wrote to the disciples Based on this interaction with Priscilla and Aquila, the brothers of Priscilla and Aquila there in Ephesus, they wrote to the other disciples, urging them to welcome Apollos. After he arrived, he, greeted, he greatly helped those who had believed through grace. For he vigorously, vigorously refuted the Jews in public, demonstrating through the scriptures that Jesus is the Messiah. We learn some things about teaching and admonishing. And as we wrap up this morning, there are three things I want us to know. If we're going to teach and admonish one another, as God desires us to do as we live in community, how can we do it well? Number one, teaching and admonishing one another in the Lord should always, number one, be an active part of every disciple's life. We see that here, do we not? Apollos has come to know Jesus. What is he doing? He's teaching others about Jesus. He's teaching others about Jesus, and he's admonishing them and warning them what it might look like to continue in their sins, to be unrepentant. John had taught a baptism of repentance. Apollos is there saying, you also need to repent of your sins and turn to Jesus. Apollos was fervently, passionately teaching others. And along come Priscilla and Aquila, and what are they doing? They're also teaching and admonishing. Maybe their role looks a little different, right? Are they publicly doing it? No, they invite someone into their home. They're doing it in a small group, so to speak. They're doing it in a smaller environment. But what are they doing? Nonetheless, they are also teaching and admonishing. We're all called to it. It should be an active part of every one of our lives. Number two, it should be done with great gentleness and it should be done in humility. If anyone gets up on this pulpit or on any other pulpit or on any other small group platform and says, I'm the end all, I know it all, and no one can teach me a thing, you should walk out that door, right? Because that's not humility and that's not true. We are all imperfect people, we all can make mistakes. I've had people come up after the service and tell me, I'm not sure about this. Okay, let's go to the scriptures. And I'll be the first one to say, if the scriptures are not what I said then I should be corrected I should be admonished right because the scriptures is the authority not any individual number three so it should be an active part of every one of our lives it should be done with gentleness and humility and number three it should bring unity and growth to the church that's the result that teaching and admonishing should have it should not be haha I told them right it should not be, like, I put them in their place. Mm-hmm. That isn't what the result should be. Notice, notice what the result of, of, of this admonishing was, that Apollos was then greeted warmly by the brothers because Aquila and Priscilla said, this is a man who's teachable. This is a man who's willing to be corrected. We were able to do that And so we're gonna write a big recommendation letter for him. And when he travels to the next place, everybody's gonna embrace him. And now he's able to function as an awesome member of the team to do what? To grow and to bring further unity to the body of Christ, to the church. That's what the result of teaching and admonishing should be. We want unity, not uniformity, we want unity around what God says. In his word, the game plan, the roles and the responsibilities that he's laid out for us as team players. We want unity around those things. And that's what the goal of teaching and admonishing should really be. And it should bring growth to the church. Growth spiritually and hopefully growth numerically. The Bible says in the early church that everyone was devoted to the apostles' teaching. And the Lord was adding daily to their numbers, those being saved. That's what the result of good teaching and admonishing should be. I want to invite the worship team. We're going to respond here in just a minute in worship. But before we do, I want to end with a, a, a passage that was written. I want to end this morning with a passage that really touches on this teaching and admonishing one more time. And when I do this, I'm going I'm to ask something this morning because I think it's, it's appropriate. It's appropriate. It's in 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, Paul writing these words to the church. 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verse 12 through 18 says this. Now we ask you brothers, you could say brothers and sisters, he's asking in the church to give recognition to those who labor among you and lead you in the Lord and admonish you and to regard them very highly in love because of their work, be at peace among yourselves. We're going to do that this morning. This is what I'm going to do. I'm going to ask you, if you serve at all in our children's program, teaching and admonishing our children, would you stand up? If you at all serve our children in Crossroads Church, please, please stand up, Okay? Now I want to talk about some more teaching and admonishing. If you at all are involved with our teenagers, we have youth ministry here, and there is teaching done there. There is admonishing done within that ministry. Would you please stand up if you're involved with our youth ministry program? All right. Um, Now, if you at all lead a small group, you teach a small group, um, within our church or even another setting, and you're teaching and admonishing using God's word, would you please stand up? Very good. Um, if you uh, at all are involved with our old people youth group, right, Encore, Encore, and you're involved at all, you've taught or you, you're involved with that group because you're iron sharpening iron in that group, are you not? I know you guys are traveling through the, the book of Psalms, it's a long journey but you guys are, do, uh, are doing that faithfully. Um, if you're involved with our Encore group, would you please stand up? Maybe the Encore group can't stand, I'm not sure. <laughs> Be helped up, no I'm just kidding. Now this, if you are at all a mother, a father, um, a brother, a sister, and you have some role with someone in your family that you feel that you are responsible for, that you feel a sense of responsibility for, and that you would all attempt to teach it and bondish them God's word, would you please stand up? Brother, sister, husband, wife, mother, father, you have a role. Here's what we need to do this morning. We need to encourage you and give recognition to you because you labor among us and you lead in the Lord as you admonish and teach others. So let's give everybody a round of applause that's standing this morning. And I want to say this pray pray for every one of these men and women. It's not just those of us who are up here on the platform. Do we have a role? Yes, we do, Kurt, myself, Pastor Jeff, the other the el- elders of the church, we all have a role in this. But at the end of the day, there's a lot of us involved with this. And we equally share this burden and this responsibility. Listen to what it says, and we exhort you, 1 Thessalonians 5 again, we exhort you brothers, warn those who are irresponsible, comfort the discouraged, help the weak, be patient with everyone. See to it that no one repays evil for evil to anyone, but always pursue what is good for one another and for all. Rejoice always, pray constantly, and give thanks in everything, for this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. Let's pray this morning. Heavenly Father, God, we just thank you for what you did on that cross, Jesus, to bring reconciliation between us and the Father in heaven. None of us could earn it, for by grace we are saved through faith. We place our faith and trust in you, Jesus, you alone, for our salvation. And we surrender our lives to you. God, thanks for inviting us to be a part of the team. God, we, we want to be good teammates. We want to live in community well. God, I, I ask that everyone in here in this room, God, that we have your heart, that we permeate in your message. And God, that whatever we do, we focus on your will. God, help us to be the men and women that you've called us to be. And we give you glory, we give you thanksgiving, not only this week, but always, in Jesus' name.